listening to Weekly Wisdom, the podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Haddonfield, New Jersey. This week's episode is a sermon by Reverend Marvin Lindsay, based on Matthew 28, 16-20. It's called On a Mission from the Triune God, and it's about the great commission that Jesus gives his disciples after his resurrection. We hope that you'll enjoy it. I want to tell you a story that I heard on the radio this week. It's a story that I've seen reposted several times on social media, so I think it's a story that has struck a chord with those who came across it. It's about Joy Ryan. She's 93 years old, and earlier this year, she became the oldest woman ever to visit all 93 national parks in the United States. She went with her grandson, whose name is Brad, he's 42 years old, to the American Samoa National Park. And that was the last one that she had yet to see. American Samoa is a long ways away. I I looked it up. It's a five-hour plane flight from Honolulu. That's a long way away. And yet she made that journey. And the journey, which uh, it's a monumental journey, but it begins in a very painful situation. Brad's parents divorced about 20 years ago. And because of that divorce, Joy and Brad became estranged from each other. And they didn't see or talk to each other for many years. And then in 2008, Brad saw his grandmother for the first time in a long time. She was 78 at the time, and she didn't look well. And so Brad got up the courage to call up his grandmother, and he invited her over for them to bake cookies together. And they baked cookies But it was a very awkward experience. You know, if you've been out of sorts with each other for a long period of time, just one afternoon of visiting and, you know, doing something together doesn't quite always put everything back together. Well, flash forward to 2015, and Brad is a student in veterinary school. And he's also in a very dark place because Grad school is extremely competitive and extremely demanding, and his mental health was suffering tremendously. And so he reached out to his grandmother again, and he asked her, would you like to go camping with me? And so she said, I've never been camping before, but yes, I will go camping with you. And so they went to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, and they even hiked up a mountain trail to a short summit in the park. And there were others along the trail, and when Joy got to the summit, she's in her mid-80s, everyone cheered for Joy, for Joy, (laughs) when this octogenarian got to the top. And the two decided to visit more national parks, and more, and more, and more. And they did more and more outrageous things. They went to the New River Gorge in West Virginia, and Joy and Brad went on a zip line together. They went to the Great Sand Dunes National Park in Colorado, and she confessed her desire to roll down one of those massive dunes. And Brad says, you'll break a hip. And Joyce said, kiss my grits. (laughs) She did. Her words, not mine. Okay? I'm just quoting. Now, Joy and Brad still bicker from time to time. You know, it's not 100% sweetness and light between the two of them. But as Joy puts it, you can't hold grudges forever. Their relationships with each other, their relationship with God's creation, and not to mention their own bodies, were healed when they took these steps, however tentative and how long it took, toward mutual forgiveness and toward the restoration of their relationship. 
It's a wonderful story, and it's a story that you have been authorized to write in your own way and in your own life. In the Gospel lesson, the risen Christ declares, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. Now, in many circles, the word authority has negative connotations. We think about the authorities. We think about people uh, with authority abusing their power through acts of coercion or corruption. Uh, Politicians and union bosses who take kickbacks or CEOs who exploit their workers in the environment or uh, uh, police states that abuse their authority by spying on their citizens and jailing them and uh, suppressing dissent. But that's not the kind of authority that Jesus has been given. It's not an authority that is coercive and overpowering. It is an authority that, as Old Testament scholar Osvaldo Venia points out, is the authority to forgive sins and the authority to raise the dead and the authority to heal sick and broken bodies. It is the power to release, not to bind people who are in bondage to resentment or to disease or to regret. That's the power of Jesus Christ. That's his authority. And to put it a different way, his authority is the authority to say the four things that matter the most. In the words of uh, Dr. Ira Bayon, who wrote a book about aging and uh, confronting our own deaths. Those four words are, please forgive me, I forgive you, thank you, and I love you. Jesus' authority is the authority that he gives us to say those four things. And he sends us into the world equipped to say such things and to equip others to say things like this. Because we have been forgiven, we can forgive others. And because we have experienced God's forgiveness, we can invite others to experience that forgiveness. To boil everything down to its essentials. You know, we do a lot in church. Uh, We have worship on Sunday. We have this building that we maintain. We have vacation Bible school and Sunday school. And we have mission opportunities. And we, we do all this stuff. But when it gets down to brass tacks, all this stuff is really about one thing. It's about our mission to say, I forgive you and please forgive me because God and Jesus Christ has forgiven us. That's the whole ball of wax. And yet, to quote that old hit by Chicago, it's hard for me to say I'm sorry. Oh yeah, you baby members Gen Xers know that song. Um, it's hard for me to say I'm sorry. It's hard for us to say I'm sorry. I'm, I stand before you as one for whom it's hard to say I'm sorry. I grew up in a family uh, that was well-practiced at grudge-keeping. And uh, just, just ask Laura uh, how, how, good, how, what, how good I am at this skill. It's hard for me to say I'm sorry. And it's taking me a lifetime to learn how to say that. It's hard also for us to forgive. It's hard also to say, I forgive you. So if our mission is to say, I'm sorry, and I forgive you, has not God in Christ given us the mission impossible? Let me talk for a moment about the difficulties of both forgiving and asking for forgiveness. And then I want to talk a little bit about how we can overcome 
those difficulties, or how, to put it more rightly, how they've been overcome for us. Remember when you were a child and your parents caught you doing something wrong to someone else, and they kind of coerced an apology out of you? Say, I'm sorry. And you, sorry. <laughs> and you didn't mean it. You weren't really sorry that you'd done that thing that you did. You weren't sorry that you pulled somebody's hair or, or you know, whacked somebody on the head. You were sorry that you'd gotten caught. You were sorry that there were going to be consequences for your bad behavior. Uh, a lot of us have not grown out of that. You know, we're sorry for getting caught. We're sorry for the consequences. We're not sorry that we did anything wrong. Or, or there's that example of the famous non-apology apology that celebrities often tweet out when they have been caught doing something bad. I'm sorry if you were offended. That's really an accusation masquerading as, as an apology. Rabbi Daniel Rutenberg's book on repentance and repair, which some of us read a few months ago and discussed, is a useful guide to a better way to an apology. She draws on the wisdom of a medieval rabbi named Moses Maimonides, and she says that uh, a proper apology has five steps. The first step is you name and you own the harm that you have done. For instance... At the staff meeting last week, I made a crass and hurtful joke about people's weight. Or, after an internal investigation, we've discovered more than 20 instances of senior management engaging in sexual misconduct with subordinates. You name the harm, and you own it. The second thing you do is you start to change. Uh, Christians and Jews have a very special word for this process of change. It's an easier word to say than singular and plural. The word is repent. You begin to change. You stop making jokes about people's weight. Or your company adopts a sexual misconduct policy with teeth in it. You start to change. The third thing you do is you, you accept the consequences of your behavior and you make restitution for the harm that you've caused. So maybe you donate money to an anti-bullying organization. Or you no longer as a company enforce people who have been wronged with uh, very low settlements and with non-disclosure agreements. You begin to do something else. Fourth, you apologize. That's when you say, I'm sorry. And notice that you've already done a whole lot of spank work before you apologize. There's a whole lot that you have to do prior to your apology. And then you say you're sorry. Then you say, I apologize. And then fifth, you make different choices in the future. You stop making jokes about people's, at, people's, at people's expense. You continue to make jokes in staff meeting because you want to keep the situation light. But you stop making jokes at other people's expense. And if senior management's accused of misconduct in the future, then you don't bury the accusation. You follow the accusation where the evidence leads you. And this is what the risen Christ calls us to do and equips us to do. Confess, repent, make amends, apologize, and act differently the next time. So I'm going to repeat that. We confess, we repent, we make amends, we apologize, 
and then we act differently the next time. What about that equally difficult thing to say, I forgive you? I heard a different story about forgiveness on the radio this week. It's the harrowing story of Kara Trainer and her son, Riley. Kara became addicted to the painkiller OxyContin, the opioid painkiller OxyContin. And her son suffered from opioid withdrawal when he was born because she was hooked on OxyContin during her pregnancy and during childbirth. Kara remembers how horrible her son's cries sounded as he went through opioid withdrawal in the hours and days after his birth. And she says, you don't want to ever hear sounds like that, ever. Now, today Kara is in recovery, and she is a coach and a mentor to other people who have been in addiction and are in recovery now. And she helps them along their way. And Riley, age 12, uh, has a good bit of problems. He suffers from behavioral problems. Um, he suffers from neurological problems. And his doctors say that this may be attributed partially or in whole to his experience of opioid addiction and withdrawal. Now, Care Trainer helped negotiate a class action settlement with Purdue Pharma, which is the big pharmaceutical company that makes OxyContin, and with the Sackler family, who owns Purdue Pharma. The settlement awards $750 million to victims and families uh, who have experienced opioid addiction, while shielding the Sacklers from further lawsuits. Uh, it's a controversial settlement. I don't know enough about it to have an opinion on it. I just report that uh, some people don't think that the company and the family have done enough of, to go back to what we were talking about earlier, making amends for the harm that OxyContin has done to society. But Care Trainer says she's reconciled to the terms of the agreement and she's ready to move on because, quote, I was killing myself in my hate. And so for my own self, for me to be well, I had to let it go. She compared her resentment toward the company and the family who owns the company uh, to shooting drugs or to drinking herself into oblivion, which is a telling comparison because she had once suffered from addiction. Hate can make you feel good. Resentment can make you feel good. But it's destructive. Forgiveness is a gift to yourself as much as it is a gift to the person or the institution who has done you wrong. Now, I find these stories inspiring, and I hope you find them inspiring as well. But the truth is we need more than inspiration to admit wrongdoing and to forgive wrongdoers. We need more than inspiration to say, I'm sorry, and I forgive you. We need divine help. And that help is here and available at this table. Because Christ died for our sins, God no longer holds our sins against us. God does not condone sin. And neither do we when we forgive others. Far from it. It's just that on the cross... God found a way to condemn sin without condemning sinners in the process. When we eat this bread and when we drink the fruit of this vine, we remember Christ's body broken for us and blood shed for us. The body broken and the blood shed that both condemns sin and saves sinners. And more than that, the Holy Spirit lifts us into the presence of Christ into the presence of the one in whom we can do all things, 
In him, our mission to say, I forgive you and please forgive me, becomes a mission possible. In the name of the one who is and who was and who is to come. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review this podcast so that we can reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ. To support our ministry, go to www.haddonfieldprez.org and click on the Give tab at the top of the page. Grace and peace be with you.